Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing today? Hello, Grant. I am very well, and uh, it's raining because, you know, we have to talk about the weather. Well, it's been a cracker day down here, 20-something degrees, clear skies. Oh, of course it has. Should we Should we move on? <laughs> <laughs> well, you started it. You raised the I know. <laughs> I know, but it's the rule. It's the rule. We have had one of our guests on the podcast before. We're going to be joined today by Ray Hanley, who is the CEO of Beacon Johnston which is one of Australia's leading and probably the largest ready meal companies with a number of well-known brand names in its stable. In recent years, the company has invested significantly in the business and also um, probably as a flow-on effect, been expanding dramatically. But for Ray, it was the reality of the investment in capability that that was not just enough, that you needed the data to back it up. So enter stage right, Aidan Heckey, from data and analytics company Decision Inc. Australia and uh, the launch of Operation New Era and the release of Snowflake. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks, Kim. Good afternoon, Kim. Grant, how are you? Ray, uh, paint a scene for us about where where the company was at when you decided that there was, you needed some holes plugged or that you needed some more, you needed something more to help um, in with the company as it was growing? I came up to start off and say we continue to evolve as a business as we respond to consumer needs. Uh, we've invested significantly into technology and people in terms of focusing on the removal of those non-valuable activities. What came evident and clear to us very quickly, that just wasn't enough on its own. And acknowledging we're operating in an exceptionally competitive trading environment and also acknowledging that our consumers have data at their fingertips, we needed to ensure that we had accurate data to manage the performance of the business um, and to ensure our teams are able to utilize this data and respond accordingly. And, you know, when you and the rest of, you know, as the, the executive team sort of recognize this is a need, where, I mean, obviously you turn to someone like Aidan who we're going to welcome into the conversation now. But is it something that's really apparent these days when you're looking at your business and you're looking at the growth and you realise that you need to have a much more sophisticated understanding of all aspects of your business from your consumer down to the commodities? I'm, I'm spitballing here. But um, how do you then know where to go? I think it's um, driven twofold again, Kim. Firstly is traditionally businesses have looked at a lot of lagging indicators and those lagging indicators being predominantly the financial data or line performance, but it's all lagging. Trying to get to a position that you needed live data, and that was everything from consumer insight to BI business informants. We knew we needed to engage subject matter experts in this to help us assist and actually get us to a position to help us understand what gap were we looking to fulfill. So Aidan and his team, True Decision Inc., came in and spent time with each one of our functional leads and looked at the data that we had today. I were able to jointly sift through what was relevant and what was dated. And from there, um, both parties came together in developing the frameworks that was able to deliver scorecards across each function. 
Hayden, we'll welcome you to the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. From your position, coming into a company and, and supporting them and, and helping them through this process, tell us what that's like. Is it pretty seamless or is it a real hand-holding expedition or how does it, how does it work? Can you ask the question before in terms of sort of what are the indicators at a business level for Ray that says, hey, we need some external help? And um, we see, uh, I guess, quite a few signals sometimes when we engage with clients. Um, Simple things like, you know, the executive team can't get on the same page when it comes to describing business performance. Uh, They might be in a situation where they're running a big transformation program and they can't all agree on the metrics that they're driving towards and how those things come together. Or it's, you know, often we get asked around a single view of client or customer. Um, So those are all quite problematic areas. Now, in Ray's case, it wasn't so much that. It was more a case of uh, the business recognizing that the technology and analytics capability need to move as fast as their business ambition and as quickly as their manufacturing capability was growing. Mm, Uh, So they were quite a very savvy business, which is always really easy, I think, to work with sometimes because you need their insights about where they want to take their business. And then it's up to us to help them navigate what's the right data that's available um, making sure that it's fit for purpose um, and then starting to make some decisions around how we build some solutions out for Ray and his team. What are we looking at here in terms of a time frame? Can this, is it, is that asking, is that similar to asking how long is a piece of string? Like, does it depend on the, let's say, Ray, for, for Beacon Johnston, what, what did this process look like for you? For you? Was it a six months? Was it 12? Has it been ongoing or? I think it's going to continue to evolve, Kim, but to get off to a starting point where we had relevant dashboards in place, that was probably a three to four months process. But what we found now that we've become uh, competent in understanding and um, utilizing the data, the frameworks that we're using are going to continue to evolve um, over the next probably six to 12 months, and we'll expand it into different areas of the business. Yeah, and if I might add, Kim, from a sort of a general perspective, yes, it does appear somewhat a little bit like a piece of string. I would say sort of rule of thumb, uh, we can go into an organization and help them devise a strategy anywhere from two weeks, depending upon, you know, if it's focused on one particular functional area in a business, um, through to, you know, we've done a three-month strategy engagement previously. And and that is all about where's the business going, you know, what are the initiatives that are operating, and then working through to make sure that the data and analytics strategies aligned. And then we start to do the building work around, okay, great, let's think about what your platform needs to be of choice, what systems and data needs to come into that platform, and then how do we start mm. to build that out. Um, one thing I would also add is that, it, you know, there's a lot of one step backwards to go two steps forward sometimes. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, a number of organizations we engage with, and, and Beacon Johnson wasn't so much this actually, but they'll have an ambition to get to some of the sexy fun stuff. You know, you'd have heard of chat GPT and machine learning, all of those really cool funky things, um, which I think my son's busy using to get himself through year 11 at the moment. Um, but <laughs> from, you know, from the perspective of the reality of how usable that actually is, you have to go through the hard work and you have to go and understand what data is available. You've got to make some choices around where it's going to go. You've got to put the right business capability inside the organization to safeguard it, make sure it's going to be really usable. And then you've got to have your business owners, who are the people that really drive that business, asking questions of it so that the information is displayed in such a way that they can, to Ray's point, tell business in real time how it's performing 
and then ultimately they can start to look at things like machine learning and chat GPT and start to get into that kind of predictive analytics world where you can start to make some predictions about where the business could go and you can help it make some of those choices. So I think, you know, from the cheap seats here, I think I've always imagined that this sort of project or tends to always happen at a leadership or an executive level. But to me, this is sounding like you have to you have to have buy-in from pretty much every single staff member involved in that process or that or that area that you're working with to make sure that that everyone is fully understanding what they're working with and the information that's coming in and and what you need to know and uh, um and what's either missing or what's extraneous. All our colleagues are familiar with um uh, whether it be iPhones, apps, um, basic BI systems. So technology is available to everybody um, in, in the way normal way of life. So when they heard there was an opportunity to actually start to adopt technology within the workplace, they were all very excited about it. Um, but there's key representatives from each one of the uh, functions that came together to help to actually develop the, the data and the framework for the data that was required. I think that's a really important point um, culturally is ensuring that it's not pushed on our people. There are people who are part of the process from day one and they engaged with Aidan's team and Aidan's team came uh, on site and actually worked with them to help them to understand what gaps we had today and uh, get the benefit of having real life accurate data. Ray, within the company, which areas did you sort of earmark as the ones that were going to be really targeted and 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 work with Aiden, um, or was it across the board, or how did you? And the immediate that? areas that needed a fix, Kim, were our sales data, um, and secondly, supply chain. Uh, supply chain <laughs> covering everything from inventory, um, um, delivery of orders, receipt of orders from customers, receipt of orders from suppliers, and being able to actually measure cash to cash. Um, through right through to customer. And then on our daily sales data, we get a breakdown by every um, family SKU that we do through the business on a daily basis, and it's accurate. That allows us to predict what the financials are going to be for the week, even before the week is completed. And from there, came just to answer your question, it kind of went out to the other functions. So it followed through in finance and in operations and in technical and lastly in HR. And Kim, if I might just add, you you asked the question around just sort of how you run a program like this through an organisation. And yeah, in Beacon Johnson, as Rose said, we had some really excited stakeholders across the business. Um, And you do have to think about it as a cultural change program. Um, And so making sure you've got that training that is sustaining the subject matter experts. Um, So those are actually hands-on tools that we leave behind after our engagement so that they can create the right dashboards and insights to help them with their business. Um, and then also it's working with people who are, who are consuming the information but may not necessarily be creating more insights. So the operators on the ground and working as much as you can to demystify that for, for those. And, and I would say also it's, it is really vitally important that you have an executive team that's bought into the process. I mean, um, you know, I know Ray has a, a daily uh, that pops up, he sees exactly where the position is, and maybe Ray can talk to this, you know, um, every day. And so, you know, his whole team know that, you know, they know that he lives and breathes by the numbers. And, uh, you know, that's a very strong signaling to the rest of the organisation that that's actually how you should <laughs> be thinking about your business as well. Ray, how long um, how long have some of these been rolled out for Beacon Johnson? So, are you getting a really good feel for it? 
or um, is it still early days? No, it's it's not early days. I think, Kim, to be fair, I was getting a really good feel for it on um, week two of Go Life. Um, <laughs> my key measure was live, accurate data that I had at my fingertips, which um, personally I love data and understanding the um, the true performance of the business, but more importantly, our teams and how they adopted and embraced it. That was probably the best measure I had um, in terms of supply chain and commercial. They adopted it from day one. Um, and they were very excited to have that data. But it creates, and Aidan alluded to it as I did, it culturally, it kind of relays uh, that whole business improvement culture that you want to have a, across the unit. Is it now across the whole company? Are there other areas that are still um, yet to come on board? Yes, uh, it's still in development. Uh, Kim, what this has helped us to do by getting supply chain and commercial right, it enabled us to understand the gaps that we had across other functions and what was relevant. Everybody loves data. Um, now, the problem with loving data is you can have way too much data that doesn't become actually relevant. So, sieving through that and weeding out and actually say, what makes the boat go faster? And what will improve the bottom line performance? And what will make our products more accessible to our consumers? And ultimately, that's what we want to do, is to ensure that we're removing those non-value-added activities across the business. And data is the enabler happy to understand what's non-value-add and what's value-add. Aidan, just let's just I just want a little bit of a backstory here. How did you end up working in this space? I've got a I guess my whole career's been built on technology, Kim. And um I've done a variety of different roles, everything from being a client to being a service provider and um a number of different things. And I came to a crossroads in my career two and a half years ago. And um I, I sat down and had a bit of those sort of navel gazing moments around what do you want to do with your life? Um, I'll probably have one in another two years, I suspect, but uh, I've sort of really earmarked data and analytics as a, a space I wanted to be in because it's just so interesting. It's um, the things that you can do, the impact you can have on an organization. You know, we've got a mandate at the moment for a charity where, you know, they've got a program that goes to 2040 that could potentially improve road safety for cyclists in Australia. You're kind of like, man, you know, you don't get opportunities like that all the time in, in certain careers. Yeah. And we have those types of stories all the time. Um, and we kind of forget, I think, sometimes that we're here as a business, but we can also, you know, it sounds a bit cliche, but we can make a material difference to our community as well, which kind of gets me a bit excited about it. And the tech is cool. You know, like if you're a technologist, you know, the, the potential for this stuff. ChatGPT to me has almost been the Tesla of AI, you know, it's like no one really believed it. Then it's rocked up and holy cow, I can cheat to them. You know, the cows come home and no one will catch <laughs> uh, But it's just going to mm. unlock mainstream adoption of these yeah. sort of technologies. You know, our kids will be all over it before we know it. I think just building on that, Aidan, and, you know, the kind of data we're talking about, it's nowhere near the level of chat uh, GPT. Um, <laughs> and maybe that's to answer your question earlier, Kim, is it going to continue to evolve? And I'm sure it will as AI takes a more active role in businesses. I think it's very interesting in that no one actually seems to really know, but then people talk as if they really do. And so, yeah, I find that, I find that very, I don't know, interesting to watch, I guess. Yeah, for, for a field that's based on data, there's lots of opinions sometimes, isn't there, which is ironic. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, why aren't you just losing and looking at the numbers? Yeah, but I, I mean, I guess going back to where we are today and, and particularly with Beacon Johnson, when I talked about having to go, you know, for some of our clients going backwards to go forwards, what we have now within Beacon Johnson for Ray and his team is a platform. 
Okay, so he has the right data sources into the right data platform. You know, he has the right buy-in and adoption from his business. He's got the right frameworks in place now. So, you know, we were talking to his team about, you know, how do we put some machine learning in to help him do um, predictive spot buying for commodities? Um, you know, and how do we do some closed loop things around that? Uh, there's a lot of different opportunities around perhaps uh, predictive maintenance in his, uh, on, on the manufacturing floor. Now, you couldn't do those things if you haven't done the hard work. Um, and so I think Beacon Johnson are well set up for, you know, future evolutions of the technology. Beacon Johnson is obviously a large, very successful company. Is this sort of technology available across the board? You know, is a is an SME going to be able to sort of roll out a program even if they're only doing, you know, a couple of SKUs or they even if they only have like sort of one product but they've got lots of different markets they're going to? Like, is it applicable across the board or is this something that's going to price some people out or is that not an issue anymore? Um, I think it's less of an issue now, Kim. It does come down to the amount of levers that that business has got to extract value. And what that is represented as in terms of data, you know. So as an example, you know, you've got a one SKU product. It might be highly susceptible to um, weather fluctuations. Uh, so we may be able to use, you know, previous business performance against weather and to be able to give a predictor on, you know, how uh, how much that business can fulfil. Um, uh, so you can find a use case anywhere, it then comes down to the materiality of the insight that you can figure out for that particular company. I would say for us, um, you know, the challenger space, we like to call it, that sort of Aussie battler, that um, sort of mid mid to upper mid-market organisation is a great place to be because they um, have all got high ambitions. You know, they've all got pretty smart people in them. Um, There's lots of data. And so there's plenty of opportunities to think about the right type of use cases where you can you can develop um, benefit for them. And most importantly, I suppose, is you can get lots of value. Um, so I don't think it's out of out of anyone's reach. It just comes down to, you know, how do you size up the value that's going to be available for those organizations? I think just building on that, Aidan, um, and Kim, I've been in this industry for 20 years. And for the 20 years, we've used the same kind of key statements. What's measured is controlled. It doesn't matter whether you've got one SKU or, or 20 SKUs. Everybody wants to measure the performance and understand how they're performing. 20 years ago, it was about daily, weekly operating reports that you would have people capturing data. That evolved over the years to something that was called touch box, where you'd have a screen and you'd manually input onto the screen. And now automating that, it becomes very much self-financing. And I talk to our teams about the cost of not doing it versus the cost of doing it. And the cost of not doing it is not having accurate data to make accurate decisions. So regarding your size and your scale, um, I think you adopt the application that represents and is reflective of the size of your business um, from a small business to a medium to a large because it will become self-financing very quickly. And that's what we've experienced. It allows us to make live, accurate decisions. And they're not emotional decisions. Rather than he think, I think, it's based on data. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of, might be just putting you on the spot here, but are there, have you got examples from when, uh, you know, you, you have sort of rolled out and, and worked with Aidan, have you got examples from the business where you've been able to see, be able to make a really big change or an important change really quickly off data that you otherwise weren't accessing or seeing? 
Yeah, one of the key metrics for me is cash to cash. I've explained that. It's from when we buy raw materials until we sell them and recover the cash from it. We've reduced our cash to cash days by about 17, 18%. Um, and we've been able to do that right. by having accurate forecasts in place, accurate inventories, and the execution of plan um, uh, at plan attainment levels hitting 80, 90%. So that cash to cash is a key metric for me. That's tremendous. Aidan, when you're using these sorts of this sort of data in the supply chain, in light of just what's been happening to the supply chain, particularly sort of since COVID, how does that work? Because surely that data leading up to and during is not like, how are you extracting information you can accurately rely on in terms of this is what we should be accounting for in this this area of the business when it's just been so thrown to the wind for almost three years? So I guess a few things there. The the data that we're getting access to is the data within the systems within Beacon Johnson. So it's you know it's obviously replaying the business performance over the last you know three to five years. Um, it's really up to uh, Beacon Johnson ourselves to determine how far back we want to use that as historical data. So that would be conversation with the business stakeholders. Uh, I guess ultimately at the end of the day, the business operators. Uh, within Beacon Johnson know where their business performance should be. So even though the historical data might look a little odd and, and, and a little skewed, I think we're all suffering from that. My business is the same. It's, you know, it's a very hard um, discussion to have at budget time around baselines um, because they basically got thrown out for the last three years. But ultimately, <laughs> yeah. if you know where your business needs to perform, um, then it's about building up the picture to that level of business performance and what are the levers that that organisation needs to be able to drive. So what, you know, as Ray just spoke to there from cash to cash, Beck and Johnson know full well, you know, where they need to be applying the pressure, um, for example, to drive a DIFOT number. Um, yeah, all we're doing is helping them understand what has happened what, and what is going to happen uh, and, and sort of what's happening in real time. Kim, probably one last thing for me in it. Um, our industry as, as a whole has liked to invest into equipment as a capability. Investing into systems where you're getting a non-tangible asset is always a harder investment to make. So you really need to understand what are you trying to achieve from it because it's um, it can be a large investment as, as any investment can be. But when you're not getting a tangible asset for it, you really got to adopt the mindset and say the power of numbers, this is what it can do to my bottom line and agree what you want your return to be. That's probably a really good place to uh, draw a line under it, I'd say. Um, thank you, Aidan. Thank you, Ray. It's really, it's a really interesting area that for those of us not on a factory floor or within the actual business sort of goes, how does this work? Like, what do they do with it? And uh, you guys have gone some way to explaining how that how that actually fits into a fits into a business and helps it um, really, I guess, be the best it can be. So thanks very much. Thank Pleasure, you, Kim. Yep, always enjoy talking about it. Well, thanks, Ray and Aidan. Thanks, Kim. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from this show. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. 
The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.